Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey team, Oliver here. This week I get to interview Josh Hon from Turn Bikes. If you've not come across the Turn brand before, they are now a mid-sized bike company, but have really found a niche providing high-quality utility bikes like their best-selling mid-drive short-tail compact cargo bike, the GSD, which is the favoured bike of a number of subscription bike services, including Lug and Carry and We, uh, who are some of my favourites on the show. Turn is different from a lot of the other micromobility companies that I've had on in that it is definitely more of a traditional bike company using bike shops and retailers to sell and service their bikes in what has now grown to be 61 countries. We also pass over it relatively quickly on this episode, but Turn is also an amazing story in that Josh only raised about $6 million in funding to date. I really value Josh's humility and perspective as someone who has been around the bike industry for a really long time, especially on his insights into Taiwan and what does and doesn't work there. I'm really looking forward to future discussions with him. Also, if you haven't already, please be sure to check out our Rider Choice Awards. These are the Oscars, the BAFTAs of the micromobility world. Voting is now open ahead of Micromobility World, the online event that we run on the 19th of January. We're excited to see which brands are considered the most popular. So go and vote, whether it's your favorite scooter, e-bike, shared service, or more. We've already had tens of thousands of votes in, but be sure not to miss out and let us know your say. Check it out at micromobility.io. And now, here is Josh. Let's go. And welcome back to Micromobility. Uh, I am very excited. This week we have with us Josh Hon from Turn. How are you doing today, Josh? Excellent. Well, yeah, I, I feel like I say this every time, but I'm really, you know, this is this has been a long time coming, this conversation. I, 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 you know, in many ways, I feel like I've been seeing turn bikes. They're incredibly popular down here in New Zealand, uh, in Wellington, where I live. They're very, they're certainly the vehicle of choice for the, for the <laughs> soccer mums. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the GSD is sort of considered to be uh, the vehicle. And, and, and for folks who were listening to the Lug and Carry episode, that is the exclusive bike that Lug and Carry have chosen to do that so look i really just i'm here to listen uh josh more than anything uh and just hear you tell the story because i think it's um you've built one of the most interesting and 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 uh, influential and important companies in micro uh for the e-bike space so yeah take me through it how did it start and well we we are we started in 2011 you know, a, a lot of us had a lot of uh, industry experience. Um, you know, we, we've been in this transportation space. And, you know, the start of Turn was, I, I would say there's there's a backstory to that. But it was, you know, it, in the end, it was a group of uh, like-minded people who believed in the bicycle as a very clean, sustainable form of transportation and who believed in its power to, you know, get people out of cars. And so it was, you know, at, at that time we decided, hey, let's let's have a go. Uh, 2011, it was very, uh, the, the early years were challenging, um, super difficult. Yeah. Did you go e-bike first as well? Did you know that e-bikes were going to be a thing? Or Because I, I know as well, and by the way, you skipped over the whole thing about like, oh, my family happens to have been in the bike industry for a really long time thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so no, I mean, we started in folding bikes. Um, that's that's yeah. that's what we knew. That's, you know, we, we, our team collectively basically helped build up that category, right? So when I started in the bike industry 30 years ago, I mean, I, you know, the, the folding bike category didn't really exist. There were a few mm. companies out there, you know, there was, there was Brompton and there was Bickerton, but you know, like the total market was, you know, a few thousand bikes a year, right? So it wasn't wow. really a market. And yeah. yeah. So we, we basically helped to create this, this global market, you know, you and you have to, you know, you have to convince people, cajole, educate, and say, hey, look, this is a this is a valid product. It has, you know, a, a very uh, valid, you know, 
use case in the transportation kind of, you know, in the entire puzzle of different solutions. That took a long time. But so, yeah, we, we knew folding bikes. Um, we knew bikes, we knew folding bikes, but definitely not electric at all. Electric came along you know, a, a fair bit later. But, but I think our, you know, the, our, you know we, we've always been about urban transportation, Right, so it was never, hey, we're turn a folding bike company. No, we yeah. we've always been turn a transportation company, and so you know we we were always open to you know we knew we had an expertise in folding bicycles, and so we started there. Yeah, we got into e bikes, I think in ninety seven. Uh, or sorry, not 97, but 2017. Sorry. Okay, yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, sorry. Really hit of the curve, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm getting old, right? So uh, so the years. <laughs> no, well, so it's funny you say this, by the way. Just, just I, 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 I know this is a total aside, but the have you heard of the Lane Automobile Museum in Tennessee? In, uh, so they collect old cars, and they've got one of the most eclectic collections of old huh? cars. Okay. And they've got like the gyro car that was made by GM and the and the like seventies and all this. Anyway, they've just done a whole collection of hypermobility, huh? and they one of the things that they included in that uh, were were like actual e bikes from the early two thousands that were <laughs> not. I, I don't think they had lithium ion. I think at that point they still had yeah lead acid. Um, but there was like a whole experimentation period, you know, before e bikes became a thing and everybody, you know, became a big hit. Um, yeah where there was a lot of experimentation even back then. So anyway, sorry, that's a, a very big aside, but yeah. Yeah, I remember those those huge batteries. So lead acid or nickel metal hydride, right? So that was that's what it went to. Um, so we worked on a bike like that. Um, yeah, wow. Yeah, but so so e-bikes was, was, you know, we were, you know, by, by European standards, we were late. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of our, uh, team members in in Germany actually had been on on our case, you know, like, hey, you guys got to do e-bikes. You're late. You're late. You're late. And he was just kind of nagging us. And then we kind of dipped our toes in the water, did our first e-bike. You know, it, it was a, if I recall, it was a Bafang bolt-on, you know, one of the BBS-01 systems that bolt onto the bottom bracket. Yep. But, you know, the European market is is well ahead. And so 97, you know, was, was late for Europe, but on the early side for, for the U.S., yes. right? There were a lot of American companies that were kind of like, we'll never do e-bikes. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. So, that, yeah. E so, you did that from 2017 and now, because you've got, like I was going through the range, it's like you've got hmm. quite a few, I mean, almost everything's e-bikes except there's a couple of folding or is it maybe or not not quite um, there's, there's a number of like folding and city bikes and that sort of stuff, but the majority I assume that, that, that I saw were e-bikes. Well, we, you know, definitely the emphasis is on electric, right? With, with every bicycle company now, that's, uh, that's a big part of the future. I think we all, we all know that. So that's, so we now have, I don't remember how many we've announced. I think we have five platforms now mm -hmm. with more to come. Yep. So, uh, yeah, the, but, but like I said, you know, like the, you know, we our headquarters is based in Taiwan. Um, yep. We've got uh, we've got offices in the U.S., uh, in China, uh, in Europe. Um, so we're we're kind of a we're pretty spread out. We're relatively small. The team is, I think it's today it's about 80, 85 people. Um, so it's it's not very big. That's all, and all of turn. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, we, you know, we, the way I look at it is I like us being small and nimble and agile. And I like kind of the concept of an all-star team Yep, where we have just really great capable people and wherever they happen to be, you know, if they happen to be in Switzerland or Finland or Durham, North Carolina, yep. that's where they are. But if, if they're interested in the same things we are interested in, we'd love to have them on the team. So, um, yeah, we, we like not being, in, because that, that means that you, you know, when, when you need to pivot, you can pivot quickly and, you know, when things slow down, then you're also in a better position because you haven't loaded up with tons of cost. Totally. My understanding is because you're a privately held company, you don't do sort of like public 
data. And I haven't been able to find anything in terms of volume or anything <laughs> like that. I assume that's intentional. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. But can you give me a scope of like, a, how do you think about yourselves in positioning relative to competition? Well, I think, uh, you know, when we started off, we were, we have been a small e-bike company uh, and it's, and a small bicycle company, but I think, you know, we've, we've pushed hard and we are now, I would say a, a mid-sized e-bike company, you know, and, and I, I say mid-sized relative to companies that sell through bike shops, right? So yep. the, the guys who sell D to C direct, they've got pretty big numbers, but you know, the space with Trek specialized giant, they're, they're the big ones and we're mid-sized. I think, you know, the, the thing that I've noticed in the bike industry is that you were in the e-bike industry is that it's hard to be small. If, if you're small in this game, it's hard because you have, you know, at any given time, you need several millions of dollars of inventory sitting around waiting for a Shimano brake or rear derailleur. And so if, if you don't have enough cash in this game, it's hard. Uh, and then even when there were supply chain issues, you know, over the last two years, if you were a small customer, you just wouldn't get a lot of interest from suppliers. So mm. we, we've made a big push to be a, a mid-sized e-bike company. And so, yeah. And that's a really interesting one as well, because it, my, my, you know, you, you are not cheap. Like that's the, that's the, yeah. the, 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 you know, you've clearly positioned yourself in a premium quality category or sorry, as premium and quality. And that was certainly the conversation that I, you know, when I was having it with, with the team at like and carry, they, they said, look, we just want to work with a, a group that are known for good quality, reliability, all that sort of stuff. It's designed well, it's built. And, and that, cause that flows through into things like resale and other things on their side. But, you know, it's an interesting one position yourself within the market. If you're mid-sized now, and you're also pursuing that, that strategy of, of being. Well, I, I would say that, you know, that's not an intention, right? So our in, our intention wasn't, hey, let's make premium e-bikes for the Tesla Whole Foods crowd, right? That yeah. that <laughs> has never been our that's never been our intention. You know, our our intention is let's make good e-bikes. And right, obviously your basic things are, you know, that they, they need to be safe, they need to be durable, they need to be something that we want to use ourselves. And I think when you start and you're at a small scale, and if you're, you know, your whole team is bike nerds, then you end up with something that's quite premium. Mm. Uh, and if you, of course, then use like premium Bosch system, you end up with something that's premium. But again, that that's not our intention. Our, our intention is to get, you know, more people onto bikes. But the reality is that, you know, especially with e-bike batteries, there's a certain kind of threshold under which you're working with products that have, you know, questionable safety. Mm. And, you know, that's just someplace that, that we don't want to go. Mm. You know, we're, we're on these bikes ourselves. Our families are on the bikes. They're, they're charging in our living rooms. And so for us, it's, it's really important that, you know, when a, when a friend says, hey, you want to get one of your bikes, that you can say with full confidence, yes, get, get ours. But I think now that we're a, you know, a, a mid-sized company and have some scale, then you can start looking at, you know, a lot of your costs and start uh, driving them down with efficiencies. Mm. The other, the other question that I have, so, so in, in this interview will come out after it. So it, it's no secret at this point, but uh, I, we just did the interview with Mike Radenbar, who's uh, obviously done red, you know, the red, red wagon and the red runner and the, um, and they're, they're the largest, as far as I can tell, the largest e-bike company in, in North America. I think so. Um, and they've really focused on not on going D2C, trying to cut out a whole bunch of costs. And, the, you know, I think the the term that Mike used was value innovative, which I really liked, actually, because it was just like, yeah, we it's an interesting. One of the things that he, he pointed out, he said, yeah, we were able to cut out a decent amount of the, the cost just by going direct to consumer. So cutting out the retailers and the... Or, you know, the dealership networks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. I'm curious for you, like, you know, you've obviously been in the bike industry for a really long time and, and you have, a, I think, probably more intimate understanding of it than nearly anybody that I've probably interviewed because you've been in Taiwan as well, which I think is the center for a lot of this stuff. Can you talk, to, talk me through, like, how did you think about it from 
you know, you're launching e-bikes, you've obviously already got a company that you're running. So you've got a traditional supply chain and a traditional bike company that you're running. But you're looking into e-bikes and you're going, this isn't materially different enough for me to go completely, you know, set up a whole new company. You haven't gone direct to consumer. Just talk me through how you thought about that decision um, within the company. I think, uh, I, I, I mean, to be honest, there wasn't that much to to think about because, you know, we, we see e-bikes as complex, you know, mechanical vehicles that need service more so than regular bikes, right? So, you know, I'm a longtime Amazon Prime customer, so I'm happy buying a polo shirt or a Yeti cup through Amazon. It doesn't need service. But an e-bike needs service. It absolutely has to have service on a regular basis to function properly and safely. I mean, that that's just it. And so, you know, when we looked at it, it's like, I mean, e-bikes even less so than a folding bike, right? A, a $300 or $400 folding bike, eh, maybe you could get away with, you know, you could do, you know, direct to consumer. But an e-bike, we just... We just don't think so. You need, and because a, a regular bike shop doesn't have the training or the tools or the diagnostics to service a Bosch or, you know, or, you know, or a battery, or you just, you, you know, you can't get away from that. So our view happens to be really different. And that is that you have to have local service. And so, you know, we, we've always been very committed to our dealer network. And so, you know, with an e-bike, even more so, it's like, Man, they're so essential because if those, you know, those dealers are not there, then, you know, there are a lot of D2C e-bikes being sold, right, in the last two years. There's tons and tons of them. And, you know, increasingly you see, right, you see all of these reports with with fires, right, from e-bike mm-hmm. batteries that are, yep. you know, unsafe in, in some way, right? And so, you know, bike shops are, you know, it's a big discussion in you know, bike shop groups. It's like, do we want to service these e-bikes that we didn't sell and are of dubious quality and uh, which we don't actually have training for? Mm. You know, like, do do we do service like through videos and through email? You know, in, in Europe, right? If you go to, you know, Germany, you go to a bike shop, you know, you walk in with a with an e-bike that they didn't sell. and And I would say the majority of those German bike shops will say, no, sorry, we, mm. we can't service that. We don't have the expertise to do that. And so, you know, especially with these fires coming up, you know, like bike shops will ask themselves, hey, do I have liability coverage? Will my insurance covered, you know, is it worth me making 50 or 100 or $150 to service this? And then if something happens, I get a lawsuit. So I think this is something that's coming down the pipe. So for us, it really wasn't much of a decision. It was like, hey, we have these e-bikes. They're, they're really complicated. Thank goodness, you know, we have our dealers. Mm. Um, so, so that's something that's, that we believe in, like local service, e-bikes with local service. Yeah. And then that <laughs> makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. It's funny. Uh, I, I, I was thinking about it. Um, one of the things that I think we've, you know, we're working out and, and it's very normal to think of this in, an, in a relatively new industry with a new vehicle type is to go, how much of this kind of looks like the old thing? How much of it is it's, its own new thing? Yeah. And, and I think there's rationale for all of them, right? Which is... Well, Tesla is an interesting example, right? Mm. So Tesla, right, says, hey, I'm going to cut out the dealer. I'm going to sell sell direct. And, and as we know, Tesla has service issues right they have difficulty servicing all of the cars that they've sold and and i was actually i think i read it someplace it's like gm is now has now good business servicing teslas because tesla can't service them themselves and so that was like what that's really weird to hear that it is yeah I have a Tesla and, and actually I waited until they had a service center in my city because I knew it was just like reading the result. Yeah. Reading the reports of the early model threes and going like all the things that could go wrong. And I just don't want to have to try and, I don't know, freight this back up to eight hours away so I can get that covered, you know? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's exactly right. It's, I mean, it's exactly the same issue, but on, on a slightly smaller scale with an e-bike, which is that you have to have local service for your car. 
you have to have local service for your e-bike somehow. Like somebody has to do it. Yeah. And I think it's also even more, not even more, same level of relevancy for for something that's as, you know, with the bikes that you've, you're obviously going into with, especially with like mid-drive, short tail uh, kind of bikes like the GSD or the HSD, um, you've really focused on that. I'm looking forward to getting into the bike, bike design with you in a second. But it's just that, you know, they are mission critical. Like a lot of people are buying them as car replacements. That's what we're typically finding. Yeah. I'd actually, do you have any data on that? I'd love if you could share anything around insights around who your, who your customers are and, and why they're buying the vehicles and what, like, are they actually buying them as car replacements? How, how real is that story? It's, it's absolutely real. We don't have any, you know, kind of like scientific kind of surveys so that we have exact percentages, but ev- everybody we, you know, we, we talk to our distributors globally, you know, it's, you know, we're on our social media pages and you can just see how people are using the product. So absolutely uh, it is true, but unfortunately we don't have good data on that. Yeah. I think this is the, uh, this is the opportunity that exists for, for folks, uh, I, that is absolutely just the story we need to be shouting mm. from the rooftops in my view. It's because it, anecdotally, right? Like that's yeah. what, and it's actually interesting as well because I feel like lug and carry, not that I'm, I'm you know, obviously that they're, they're related to you, but they're not, you know, they, they use your bikes, but but they're not your business. But it's just for them because they're so close to the consumer and that conversation around what the, what the actual use case is, what people are doing. I think they, they have some really, really in, insightful data around that. They might have good data actually. <laughs> yeah yeah it's an interesting one for me actually because you know that's one of the things that i found you know with the traditional bike industry because you know yes you've chosen to go through the the dealership you know to, to go through that business model of going through the dealers but you do end up in a situation where you don't you know like oftentimes the rider you don't have a direct connection with them right because it's oftentimes the dealer has the, the connection right. and not you and you know uh, some of the DTCs, I think that's been an interesting insight from my side as being seeing like, you know, and it's been paralleled in the car industry as well. So Tesla, you know, you have an account with your Tesla and Tesla knows about you. And Volkswagen only started introducing that like three years ago. You know, for a long time, they didn't have any idea. They had mm. no idea. They didn't even know the email of the person who was buying the car. And it's and it's that level of in, like intimacy around knowing some of those details that I think is interesting and that the kind of more direct uh, model. Yes. How do you, so I want to get into the bike design thing because one of the, one of the pieces of feedback that I've had from everybody who's ever gone on a turn has been one, this is an amazing ride. And two, it's really, really well designed and, and, and like that you've nailed it in a, in a way that I think, uh, really just, you know, for very particular use cases, especially with the GSD is the one that I've obviously spent a little bit of time with uh, around families and what the families would need them for, but also the HSDs and, and other vehicle types. So can you talk me through that part of that story for you? You know, like how have you done it differently to what you might see in the rest of the market? Well, I think the, you know, the GST is an interesting, that was a, that was a pretty different and risky project for us. And, you know, when we started talking about it, you know, our, our product development team is right. It, we, we have, you know, we have our, our team in Europe and they're kind of scattered around Europe and we have our US team, and then we have our Taiwan kind of engineering team. And we argue about this stuff, right? And so the initial argument was, hey, if we want to do, you know, so we had done the the folding Vectron, right? So it was a folding e-bike. And then we were working on model number two, and we were debating. And then we, we had said, hey, let's, you know, let's, let's make this other bike and let's have it, you know, be able to carry some cargo. And, you know, there was one you know, very strong voice for, Hey, you know, we're a folding, we're a folding company. So all our bikes are folding, so it should fold. And then there was another side that was, Hey, no, if this is going to carry stuff, you know, it's hard to make it strong enough, you know, with a hinge in the middle. So it's, you know, we have these very kind of heated debates based on different people's uh, viewpoints, you know, like they're, they're very, they're coming, you know, we, we have people coming from all different kind of use cases, you know, and I, I joked once and I was like, well, the, all the European guys are, you know, they're, they're really good at making sure our product functions correctly, mm. functions well. And our, our U S team is, is good at making sure that, you know, the bike looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and the Taiwan team is making sure that it can be manufactured at a reasonable price. Yes. And it came out as a joke, but then I was thinking, okay, well, this guy, this guy, this well, it's kind of true, actually. Mm. But the important thing, right, is that you have these different viewpoints and, and you're arguing about how to make the spike better. So there's this process of debate and argumentation about, you know, what features should go onto this product. So, yeah. So just thinking about which parts to skip of the story uh, so it's not too long. Well, the GSD in particular, I think, is, is, the, is the interesting one because it's, is that your bestseller? Yes. Yes. Um, it's our bestseller. You know, the, the original design actually carried uh, one child, you know, one kid in the back. And, uh, you know, I had been doing a lot of testing with my son. And so he had been riding, he was small. I think he was probably seven or eight. He had been riding on the back of the Vectron. And, uh, so we had done, you know, lots and lots of trips home from work, you know, some very memorable, nice trips with the son and he'd be riding on the back. And there were even times where I'd put my feet up on the frame and he would be sitting on the rear rack pedaling, yep. pedaling for me. And then when we came up with our first GSD prototype, you know, I rode him to, you know, sports practice and, and I was all happy and excited. And, and he was like, well, what's so great about this bike, dad? And I was like, Oh, you know, look, you can sit in the back. And he was like, I can sit on the back of the other one, dad. And I, and I was, and he was like, well, what, what else? I'm like, uh, you know, it's <laughs> stiff and stable. And he's like, well, <laughs> the, and, and he's like, but this one doesn't fold dad. So I could just see in his eyes he was mm. like confused. It was it seemed like like this new bike, you know, could could do the same things the old bike could do, except it was missing the folding part. And then in another meeting with with one of our kind of creative guys from the U.S., he was like, you know, he was you know we were explaining the concept to him, and we're like, yeah, you know, and the the rack is like one and a half times as big, so you can put, carry extra cargo, and and. You know, and, and what and he was like, Well, how many kids? I was like, Well, one kid. And he had the same reaction, which was you, you can't carry one and a half kids. Mm. Like there is no one and a half kids. There's there's either one, which most bikes can do, right? That was his argument. Uh, or there's two, which very mm. few bikes can do. So, you know, based on those kind of two viewpoints you know one of them my son it was like well you know that that does kind of make sense so we ended up lengthening you know lengthening the the bike by another i don't remember 10 10 centimeters or so but then the gsd you know it had other parameters right so <laughs> these all end up being kind of personal uh but we were planning to buy a vw touran uh, because we loved how this relatively small car, right? The Turan is a small car. I don't know if you have it in, in your market. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know the one you're talking about. It's like, a, it's just like the mini people carrier, right? Like a mini MPV? Yeah, but there's but there's three seats, right? And it, it's about the length of a, you know, it's a Honda Civic sized, you know, car, but there's three rows of seats. So we loved how you could pack extra things into this small form factor. So we were planning to buy that car. And so then we basically measured the interior you know with the the middle seats down we're like okay how how much space do we have and it turned out to be about 185 centimeters so because you know so that became one of the parameters of this gsd well okay let's lengthen it but no longer than 185 centimeters mm -hmm. because we want to make sure that we can carry it in our car yep. um <laughs> and then the other it's silly but uh, also but it, it's, if, if it's not you right like it'll be somebody else who needs to have that kind of very particular i mean it's it's, it's a wonderful part of the story but you know 185 centimeters also happens to be basically the length of a standard you know 29er bicycle right, right. so it kind of meshed wells like can we can we fit you know a rider plus two passengers on a bike that's no longer essentially than a regular bicycle so it fit. It wasn't just, hey, it's our car. Mm. Um, and then, you know, one of the other parameters was, hey, we we live in an apartment building and we have an elevator. And so where do we store this? We need to get it into an elevator. And hey, guess what? I think lots of other people, you know, especially in cities, live in buildings with elevators. And there's no, there are not always easy places to, you know, park your bicycle. Mm. So 
vertical parking and rolling became another key uh, kind of key design parameter. And actually one of our team members, a guy named Galen, he actually came up with an observation, which I thought was really good, which is he said, look, cargo bikes are great, right? They're really awesome. And they're and the place they're most awesome is in crowded cities. Yeah. Because then you can get rid of your car completely and you get and you can, you know, do all the things that you do need to do with a cargo bike. But crowded cities are precisely where large, you know, bullets, right, urban arrows don't fit because people don't have garages and, you know, so they're missing places to park the bicycle. And so if we are able to create a cargo bike that has that functionality, but is a lot easier to park and store, we may actually expand the market for cargo bikes. Mm. So that was his kind of key observation. And, and I think it makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, if you think about it now, it's like, yeah, that's kind of obvious now. Totally. Well, it, in retrospect. Yeah, it, it, it does feel obvious in retrospect, but it also felt like, a, was it, were you the first kind of compact mid-tail like that to get onto, onto the market or were there others at the, t- at the time as well? Well, I think there were there were other, you know, long tail designs. You know, the first mm-hmm. I would say commercial long tail I, I would say is uh probably extra cycle. Yep. So so Ross uh you know, he he did a lot to, you know, create that category and popularize it and educate people. In terms of compact cargo bikes, there was a there was a company in I, th- I think they're are they Italian or French? Bici Capace. They had non-electric small wheeled cargo bikes. Mm. But if you say uh, electric compact cargo, I believe we were the first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it also just it, it's it's interesting because I've seen them kind of you know, really take off, and, and and as I sort of mentioned, you know, it's, it's certainly in in my neighborhood, uh, they are the vehicle of choice for the mums. One of the the most interesting parts of the conversation that I've had around uh, kind of cargo bikes in general has been uh, with uh, Karianna, who's based at We, who's in Norway, and Karianna, you know, she started off her presentation uh, in in uh, at the Micro Mobility Europe conference with you know, there's a lot of money to be made from taking women seriously. <laughs> and I loved yeah. that. And I, and I feel as well, you know, and she obviously, they use your bikes as well. And she was very, uh, very positive about what she had to say about the way that you've designed your bikes. And it's clear, it's like, do you have mums on your team who have des- who have helped design it or people who, who, who were maybe not mums, dads, but people who were family, who had families, et cetera? Well, yeah, I mean, I think... Um... Well, I would say kind of yes to all of those things, like right, yes, yes to to women on bicycle, yes to to women on our team. You know, I think I would say that our, you know, the, one of the things about us is that you know we we use our product, right? So mm. we, you know, that's how I get to work. That's how my wife gets to work. Um, that's how a lot of the team gets to work is like on our own product, and so we're passionate about our product um, and we're using our product every day. And I think there's a big difference between, you know, people who are designing and making their own product who use it, who are actual users versus people who are in that business, right? It's the latest fad and Hey, cargo bikes are a thing. Mm. Let's make a cargo bike. Uh, But in, but in real life, I'm a, you know, I'm a road racer on my six kilogram, you know, carbon ethos right yeah so that there's a difference there and i think you can see that from attention to detail that's that that's how we look at it like you know my example is ortlieb right you know if if i look at an ortlieb bag i imagine like the entire like company like riding to work in the rain you know in a german winter you know and they get to work and they're like man if i if i change the angle on this you know lid opening by, you know, three degrees, you know, water coming in at this angle, you know, would, would be blocked better. Right. I mean, that's how I look at it because their attention to detail is so, you know, is so amazing. For folks who don't know what Ortlieb is, because I oh. didn't, and I've just Googled it. <laughs> Ortlieb oh, make very nice bags that go on bikes. Yeah. 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 Are these like pannier bags and stuff like that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Cool. They're, okay. They're best in class. They're they're German. Uh, they're best in class. And if you need a waterproof pannier bag, orderly, that that's the bike. Catchy. And, or that's the bag. Yeah. But I mean, it's you know, it, it could be you know, Arcteryx jackets. You know, but 
there are certain brands where the people live the product. And I would say, you know, our, so our team, right. There are, there are dads, you know, there's, there are moms, you know, one of the things that we're pretty proud of is that I think our, our current count is we're 45% uh, female at turn. So at, at typical bike companies, it's not, it's not close to parity. Yeah, yeah, I don't know a heap, but I do. I uh, but I I can imagine how that would be. Yeah, that's amazing. That that's that's awesome. Well, look, I, I I'm curious. You know, there's there's like lots of things I want to ask you about. But so you've obviously built the 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 kind of the GSD. And can I just ask, what does GSD actually stand for? Because I've heard lots of other I've heard lots of interpretations on what it actually stands for. But. The the PG version is get stuff done. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then there's a there's an R rated version. Um, yeah, which, which everybody can can guess. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Genius marketing, by the way. I think it was actually that that may have been like our code name for the bike. You know, like hey, what is this bike supposed to do? You know, it's just supposed to you know get shit done. Like, you know, you're just supposed to be able to yeah. do all the stuff that you need to do, which is not glamorous, you know, get kids to school and, you know, do the grocery shop. Right. But it's just getting stuff done. And and then yes. I think when it came time yeah. to choose the name, we were like, well, actually, you know, <laughs> it, yeah, <laughs> it, it's happened yeah. a few times. Yeah. Oh. Totally, totally. And. So, so I guess the um, you know, one of the things that you've obviously made as a design choice is to go with Bosch, and you kind of alluded to why that was uh, earlier, which is you know you consider them to be the, you know, they make the best uh, motors uh, in this in this space. You don't go with Bafang or any others. Can you talk me through that decision? And 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 like at the moment, you're obviously you're a mid-sized company, but what I'm trying to get my head around is I have been in some ways sold the vision by groups like Van Moof that you know Venmo's like look 95% of our bike is proprietary and that's and it allows us to do a whole bunch of stuff because it's now 95% proprietary and the thing that I found interesting about Turn has been you haven't really done you've done particular design things that are maybe proprietary but you've you know it's standard bikes from you know brakes from good providers and motors from good providers and you've gone for a kind of a whole bunch of stuff that's quite good yeah any insight that you might be able to offer there yeah, I think, you know, that's a that's a huge decision point, right? Like, do you, you know, do you go out and you find a battery and a motor and a display and you do the electronics yourself and cobble the system together? And, and if you're good, you do a good job at it. And if you're not good, bad things happen. Or do you buy a system from an established player? I think it's, you know, I think we've actually, you know, in my in my history in the bike industry, we've gone the route of, Hey, let's you know, let's try and pull together our own system. It hasn't gone mm. well, right? And it and the reason is, it's it's hard, right? At you know, a, a bike mm. company is full of mechanical engineers, electrical engineers. You know, are tend to be fewer and further between, right? At at bike companies, and so I think it's really just looking at you know what what are we good at, and mm. what are we uh, not good at. And so if, if we're not good at the electrical engineering part, should we just partner up, you know, and, and in a way it's like, you know, Bosch is like, it's like Apple, right? Like, would you want to be in competition with, with Apple? You're right. You know, anybody with your, your smaller resources, it's, it's hard, right? Even Shimano, right? As big as they are, right? They're a multi-billion dollar company, but I'm sure they look at Bosch and go, shit. You know, like those guys, when they need a gyroscope, like they just go to their sensor division and order up gyroscopes. Like that's totally, that's pretty hard competition, right? And, and when they need software written or, but it's not even that, right? That's the, the surface stuff because there's the, the safety aspect, you know, of, of batteries. Like, so battery, t- like how do you, you know, I, I think, you know, like ba- batteries are, you know, like cells that are kind of packed together and then they're welded together and then they're packed, you know, into a case together. And if the welding or, you know, or it jostles or something comes loose, you get a thermal event, right? A fire. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so, you know, even companies like Samsung, right? As big as they are, they mess up, 
right on on critical things yeah. like that. And so, uh, I I think you know I I remember so you know talking about safety, right? So one of them is the features. I think you know the the premium systems, right? The the Yamahas, the Shimano's, right? The the Brozas, uh, the Bosch's. They're functionally they're they're pretty good, and they're not too far away from each other. But on the safety side, the service side, there's a there's a big difference, right? So the, you know, I remember a, a Bosch guy came in and gave us a talk, and this was at Interbike years ago. Uh, and one of our dealers was like, "No, you know, hub motors are better. You know, we, you know, we, we should be using. You know, you guys shouldn't use Bosch." And the Bosch, you know, in the presentation, he was like, "Look, we make a couple hundred million lithium-ion devices per year. Yeah, we're very good at." Knowing where our batteries are from, we're very good at the testing side. We're very, very good at you know charging. You know, like all of these things, we are very good at, and and that's important. So I would say safety is one super important thing. The other thing I would say is availability of spare parts, specifically the battery. So it's not even the motor, right? It's not even the motor; it's the battery, because the key thing for us now is like you've just purchased a. Three, four, five, six thousand dollar, seven thousand dollar e-bike. If it, you know, the the warranty for the battery is two years, right? Which is which is not long, right? What if three, four, five, six years down the line, you need to replace your battery? And it's actually not a what if question. It's a guaranteed you will. You will need to, yeah, yeah, completely. Yes, I I have this exact problem with a e-bike that I bought in twenty sixteen. Yeah, I still can't, I can't get batteries for it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the perfect question because I think all of the people who bought e-bikes during this pandemic, right? In the last two to three years, they've bought all these e-bikes, guaranteed they will need a replacement battery, you know, next year or the year after or the year after that, like guaranteed, mm. right? Between three to five years after, right? So you're at you're at year six. Yeah. Who which supplier will guarantee availability of a battery and there's only one it's bosch right there's there's literally only one like shimano doesn't make that guarantee specialized doesn't make that i mean who who makes that guarantee that five years out six years out seven years out you will have a replacement battery and so i think that's something that you know doesn't show up in the you know on on the retail floor Mm. but it's kind of like like you have to think of this and so for us that's a that's such an important thing, right? Because you buy this GSD, if it stopped, you know, if the battery didn't work three years from now and and we couldn't supply you with a replacement, I mean, y- you would be justifiably angry yes. at us. Yeah. 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 That's so, so, it's so fascinating. I, um, I, do, I, yeah, it's a, it feels in the same way that I imagine, you know, the early days of the, um, automobile industry right there were like three thousand different car manufacturers in the u.s alone uh and in the mm. um between oh. 1910 and 1920 i didn't realize that yeah and then and then there was the consolidation of you know and it ends up consolidating down to like five and in the u.s now there's three and yeah it, it will take time i mean that, that, that all of that side of things but it's more about that like those vehicles would have been sold and they would have all had proprietary stuff and then eventually everyone just sort of says like yeah if you just use the gm v8 like everyone knows how to fix that thing you know and it becomes a and becomes these things end up becoming standards around themselves even though you know yeah so 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 yeah i think you know in terms of proprietary parts i i would say that we try not to use proprietary unless it's a big jump in Mm. functionality and then we have to say look it has to be worth it because if we're going to go proprietary, then we have to stock it then for like, you know, the next decade. So, you know, this was something that uh, Kurt Schar from Flyer, uh, you know, the brand Flyer, he said this to me, this was years ago, this was at Eurobike, but we hadn't even gotten into the business, but he, he sat down and he was like, you know, with regular bikes, you know, you sell the bike, you know, and that, and your relationship with that customer basically is, is done. You know, you've sold the bike, it's, and they can get it fixed anywhere they want. Uh, but he said with an e-bike, that is the start of a decade-long relationship with that customer. And if you're not prepared to have that 10-year relationship, don't get into e-bikes. 
Um, I remember he said that to me and I was like, yeah, what? 10 years. Like, wow, that's, that's some serious stuff, but you know, that's how we look at it. And so in the, all of the parts that we use, I mean, like if, if we're going to use a proprietary break, we need to have that available in eight years, 10 years, if you need it. And so for us, it's like, if, if, if it's a Maguro product and they make awesome breaks, let's not make our own proprietary break if yep. we don't have to, or if it's, you know, or if it's from Shimano or Cane Creek or, you know, Schwalbe, like, you know, good yeah. suppliers. So yeah, our mindset is a little different. This is so interesting. Uh, I think uh, much needed sanity in this world, uh, possibly of micromobility, which oftentimes <laughs> gets excited about the new and shiny new thing, right? Like I'm, I'm totally guilty of that myself. Yeah. Um, I get very excited about all the, all the cool things coming down the pipe. And then, you know, but I think you make really valid points uh, in this. I'd love to understand a bit about how, you know, obviously you started the company uh, in 2011 and, and you've grown it. You know, you're a traditional hardware company. Uh, you've, you've managed to have bikes, obviously, that have been going through. And so it's, in some ways, you've been growing a growing business. But have you ever taken external funding or is it still all, all um, family owned? We, we have. So we took, uh, you know, when we started, you know, I think uh, I was 40 some years old. Right. So like 43, 44 years old. And I, I had, you know, bootstrapped our previous company, you know, with, with no funding and it, and it was really, really hard work. And there were all these things that we, we wanted to do and we knew we should do, but we just didn't have funds. So when we started turn, basically we, you know, we said, look, we need, you know, if we, if we want to grow this relatively quickly, you know, as a, as a 40 year old mid forties guy, you you don't have that much time either. Um, so, you know, let, let's take on investors who share kind of our, our vision, uh, but let's be able to do things that we should do. And, you know, we, you know, we just, we grow faster and we, we share the wealth. And so that's how we've always thought about, you know, even with, you know, you know, team members at turn, it's just like, look, you, you share the upside, you, you know, when you make money, you share it. And in fact, that just means more incentivized and passionate people because they're they're sharing in in the growth. So yes, we actually a, a great story. This is this is an example of kind of Taiwan old school bicycle mm. industry. You know, when I I told I told one of our suppliers that I was planning to start a new company, and this 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 woman, she's one of the most, or she is the most well respected lady in the. Uh, in the bike industry, but she, I remember she said, you're going to be successful. It's going to be hard, but you're going to be successful. Uh, what do you need from me? And she ended up just basically loaning us a million dollars. Wow. Based on, based on a, you know, an, essentially an IOU. Yes. But it was based on, you know, a decade, you know, a, or a two decade long relationship before that. But, you know, that's, that's also Taiwan industry of, you know, people go by, you know, a handshake uh, and your word and trust. It's funny you say that. So it's actually one thing I'd, I'd love to understand. So my understanding is that the that there's a whole bunch of uh, <laughs> the way that I understand about how Taiwan works is that everybody knows each other, Yep. especially in the e-bike industry. Yep. And everybody will sit around and if you try and screw like if there are overseas people who come and try and screw people or like stuff up orders or don't meet their word or whatever everyone knows yep and so it's one of these things immediately you don't want to get offside yeah exactly right and 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 so you don't want to get offside and so the relationships are really important and i think that oftentimes like folks who don't have depth of experience working in you know relationship-based cultures like that yeah uh, struggle with that yeah i mean you know because you know i you know, I was born in and grew up in the U.S., right? So, up until 25, you know, when I when I came to Taiwan, and so I see both sides. You know, I, an example mm. was when I, you know, I, yeah, I'm a Stanford guy with a master's degree, working in Silicon Valley, and you know, I, I came to the bike industry intending to, hey, I'm just helping out, you know, my parents for a couple of years. But I remember, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, and I'm working at a dirty factory, you know, and. I remember a supplier comes with handlebars and, you know, I think there were some scratches on some of them and, you know, we were checking them and it's like, what's going on? You know, you're delivering these scuffed up handlebars, you know, like take them back. You know, it's a very American 
mindset. Mm. You know, I'm the buyer. I'm always correct. You are the you are the vendor. You you do what I tell you. Right. That's a very American mm. mindset. So it's like take them back. They're like, well, can, can we pick out like the good ones and then leave? And it's like, no, take them all back. And uh, so they weren't very happy. But you know, I was like, hey, you know, I know what I'm doing. And then I think there was, you know, a week or two later, there's somebody else with seat post with kind of a similar issue. And I was like, take them all back. You know, you guys sort through them. And, you know, we don't want to see these and help you sort through them and take them all back. But it was only later that I realized that, you know, maybe somebody told me, it's like, Josh, there's only three good suppliers of stems, handlebars, and seat posts. You have now pissed off two of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and, but, you know, I was reacting in a very typically, you know, American way, right? I'm the buyer. Like if you deliver subpar stuff, you know, and, and a, a Taiwan way would be, oh, you know, some of these are not up to standard. Let's, okay, most of these should be good. We'll help you sort through them. And then they owe me a favor. Right, that's a a more Taiwan way to do it. Like, you've screwed up. You know you've screwed up. I now help you resolve your problem with a lower cost to you, right? Uh, then you owe me a favor. So the next time I call up and go, "Hey, you know, I need a favor because can I cut in line? Can you get me these handlebars really quickly?" They will do you that favor in Taiwan. Mm. So, so yes, in Taiwan, uh, everybody knows everybody. We we actually get together socially all the time. In fact, I have a I have a mm. nice nice dinner coming up next week, where everybody gets together. And so, you know, even you know even payment issues, right? So, you know, if, if there's a if there's somebody late paying, like it goes around quickly. Hey, this guy's not paying. Don't ship goods, right? Like, it's a serious thing. And in Taiwan, you know, the thing that that I've realized is there aren't that many good suppliers. Actually, the bike industry in general, good suppliers, yeah. there aren't that many, right? You know, if you talk tires, there's only a small handful, right? Stems, bars, seat posts, there's a small handful. Hubs, right? Rear derailleurs, even less. And so you, it's really important, those relationships, because if you screw somebody, people don't, they don't need your business necessarily, unless, you know, you're one of the, yeah. the biggest guys. Totally. But uh, yeah. Can I ask, do you know what were the kind of historical factors that drove, you know, Taiwan becoming such a center of excellence for e-bike manufacturing? Because it really is like, it, it is the place that everybody goes if they want to uh, manufacture, unless you, yeah, there is a bit that's emerging in Europe and. and well, I, you know, I would say that, you know, component wise, you know, Taiwan is a center of bicycle. So it's not just e-bikes, it's bicycle excellence. I mean, there are a lot of good, great factories in Europe, right? Doing the assembly in Europe. Um, I think in terms of components, you know, right? Frames and forks and, you know, hubs. You know, I think, you know, the bike industry historically, you know, was centered around Japan, but then Taiwan became a lower cost manufacturing base. So a lot of the manufacturing flowed to Taiwan. But then in the 90s, that low-cost manufacturing started flowing over to China. So it was all going over to China. Um, and so I think the drive to kind of increase quality, you know, that was a, that was a very conscious move by a, a bunch of Taiwan companies working together, you know, giant Merida helping lead, but, you know, the, you know, the, the KMCs of the world, you know, in, in components and velo saddles and, you know, they all work together to basically say, Hey, look, you know, if, if we don't up our quality game, we're going to lose everything to, to China manufacturing. Mm. So I think a lot of the, the factories in uh, the good factories in China are run by Taiwanese, right? So they're Taiwan companies with factories. Now these factories are increasingly moving to Vietnam because, China manufacturing is uh, obvious reasons. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, is having is having difficulty. Um, yeah, but yeah. So I think it's just it was really a an, an organized response to, hey, we need to go up the value chain, otherwise mm. we're going to be you know if we're just making commodity widgets, we will be gone uh, in a short time. So I think yeah. it was it was really smart, right? So like you know, bike bicycle component right 
you know, in Japan, right, it's is non-existent except for Shimano now. So it, mm. it all it all went away uh, because those the other companies didn't manage to go up market like Taiwan did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Hey, did you did you know we are supplying GSDs to New Zealand Post? I didn't know that. Yeah, that is very cool. Are you doing are you doing that to a lot of postal postal services? Are there many postal services that have opted for e-bikes like that? Well, New Zealand Post is our first, uh, yeah, our first uh, customer. Uh, so we're pretty excited. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they they haven't uh, they haven't publicized it uh, much. Um, so, but we've got you know I, I don't remember now a hundred or two in operation there now. Yeah, amazing. It's actually fascinating. I I, I had a conversation uh, with the. Uh, New Zealand Post sustainability procurement person because they effectively like there's been this big push into hey you there's like a mandate that came from the government which is you have to go and buy, go out and buy electric vehicles and everyone freaked because they were like there's no electric vehicles on the market that will actually do the job and I was saying the whole time like hey you should think about micromobility so I'm very excited to hear that this is where that conversation has uh, ended up because they 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 clearly picked you know, gone and, and looked around and just said, we need an electric vehicle that does the job. And what's the most, what's the one that's on the market that can do the, you know, with the operating parameters that we have. So that's awesome. Well, maybe we have to thank you for getting them to start thinking. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't say that with uh, like asking for credit or anything at all. No, no, it's just, I know that this has been a real challenge for them in mm. terms of being able to find appropriate vehicles for, for use. So um, that's really exciting to hear that they uh, picked that up. I mean, if you think about it, right, just postal delivery, if you if you do use a hub and spoke model, right, you have a big truck come and then you have a, a couple of smaller cargo bikes come to pick up a load of stuff and then they just go off in their, you know, different blocks. It makes perfect yes. sense, right? Just in, from from cost and manpower and speed, all of those things, it makes, it yes. makes so much yeah. sense. Oh, and I think as well, that you know, we'll, we'll get there eventually but we're starting to do uh like segmented areas of cities and in some of our larger cities so you can't drive across a city you can only drive into an area in a city and then you have to leave again you can't go like it's very very hard to permeate across the city and 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 it, they've done that on purpose because they want effectively to not have the city be a giant you know like a giant motorway grid of freeways yeah and grid and grid so that so they're looking for alternative solutions for for, for getting things out that's like the what's like the is isn't that the fifteen minute city concept that Barcelona is using? Yeah, and Paris and lot, lots of uh, European cities are really adopting it too. And yeah. I think that's you know it all just lends itself to the stuff that we uh, are promoting. Uh, I think which is yeah. you know, all of these vehicle solutions. It it makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, look, hey, I'm I'm very conscious of time and uh, not taking any uh, any more of yours. Uh, but like, I just want to say thank you so much. It's been uh, like the most fascinating conversation, and and like I said, I just love what you build and, and the vehicles that you've you've been putting out and um, the leadership that you show in the industry and and the way that you by by building as you do and focusing on the quality and focusing on utility. It's it's really awesome to see, and uh, I think you lead a lot of others in that. Well. Yeah, we thank you and Horace for also kind of leading the way and creating interesting conversations that, you know, uh, you know, I think gathering people together and and talking about problems and solutions is super important in the way that you guys have such kind of a, a, a macro way to look at things like, you know, Horace comes up with these these ideas and it's like, oh, shit, you know, like it's like trillions of miles that need yeah. to be traveled. <laughs> And if you add a dollar, you know, multiply it by, you know, 20 cents a mile, that's a large number. Yes. Um, yeah. Someone, uh, someone once said um, in the industry that they said to me, it's like, Horace narrates what we do. He's like, I, I, I've been doing this. And then all of a sudden I, re I work out what I'm doing because I've just been, <laughs> it's like, oh, that's what's going on. Right. We were just doing what made intuitive sense. But here's the, you know, here's the, here's the theory behind it as to why it's working. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, that's why I enjoy listening to, I mean, it's actually the only podcast I listen to, but it's like. Okay, that makes sense. It's a those are good words. I like those words to just you know like micro mobility, right? That's a that's a great word to you know describe what we're doing. Oh, honored, marvelous. So thank thank you guys. Well, we're looking forward to hopefully having you come to uh, a couple of our events, and we can we can have you up on stage and uh, uh, look forward to 
uh, having others meet you. Uh, so you, you, the, the the famous and legendary Josh Hon, who until now I uh, didn't I didn't had hadn't had a chance to meet. So thank you for your time. Looking forward to to spending some time together in the future. Yep, definitely. Thanks, Oliver.